Welcome to the Deeper Call Podcast. I am your host, Ashley Neese. Hello, and welcome back to the Deeper Call Podcast. I am your host, Ashley Neese. Today, I am joined by mindfulness, meditation, and nonviolent communication teacher, Oren Sofer. Together, we discuss the power of courage, attention, and forgiveness as we explore the 26 qualities for personal and societal transformation that he shares in his recent book, Your Heart Was Made for This. I also share a story about a challenging moment with my son that occurred earlier on the day that we recorded, and I invite you to join me with a tender and open heart in that processing. I have been engaging with Oren's work for the last seven years, and it has had a big impact on my life. His first book, Say What You Mean, changed my approach to communication and has been a lifeline in navigating relationships. One of my favorite aspects of Oren's work is the amount of spaciousness and generosity he offers. He brings such care to his practice and teachings, which gives me so much permission to be human, to meet myself where I am, and to do as much as I can without trying to push through or bypass pain or challenges. I also appreciate how nuanced his invitations are the reminder that we are doing the work of a lifetime. It's not something that we can get perfect or figured out in a month or even a season. In our conversation, he said that it's really hard to face the truth and open to all of the feelings that are present in our lives. I have been feeling this so strongly over the last months. It really is hard to face the truth and open to all of the feelings that are present. It requires such devotion to our practice to be with ourselves, each other, and the global crises we face. And it is our work to do, to strengthen our capacities to choose where we place our attention so that we can be open to the present. When I think of Oren's work, I return to this essential teaching. We are always practicing something. What are we practicing? Today, I am practicing embracing courage. Today, I am practicing cultivating my attention. Today, I am practicing mourning. Today, I am practicing gratitude. Today, I am practicing rest. Today, I am practicing being in service of my community. I hope my conversation with Oren nourishes and inspires you. With gratitude, Ashley. Thank you so much for taking the time to be in conversation with me today, Oren. I am really looking forward to diving in with you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Ashley. So as I mentioned before, I was introduced to your work through uh, the Nonviolent Communication School in the East Bay in Berkeley, or in Oakland, I guess, rather. And at the time, I was studying to be a somatic experiencing practitioner, and I loved connecting with your work. So I was like, oh, here's someone who also does mindfulness and contemplative practice. And here's someone who also is an SEP. It was just the weaving of all the teachings and all the practices was really what drew me to you. I just find so much just spaciousness and like grace within your work and with the way that you teach and so much permission for me as a student and as just a fellow human to just be where I am. And you know, there's so much in my history and my programming and even in our culture that's always trying to just get us to be somewhere else, right? <laughs> anywhere but here. And so I'm always appreciating the wisdom and the teachings that you bring that are just, hey, like, where are you right now? Mm. 
And like, can that be enough Mm. just in this moment? So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. I'm so glad we're connecting and that there's so much synchronicity. Yeah, there really is so much. So I have your wonderful new book, Your Heart Was Made For This. And I also downloaded the audio because I've been doing a lot of audio books lately as a mother of three young kids. (laughs) Sometimes the audio gets in a little bit deeper than reading words on a page. So I do both. And I really love that combination. And the the place I want to start with your book is with courage. And just for those who don't know, your book has 26 qualities. I've heard you refer to them as humanistic tools, which I just love that languaging because it's so open and it's so accessible. And it's like, oh, they're humanistic tools. Like, yeah, that, I definitely need those. <laughs> those, are, those are things that I can practice with. Uh, in your book, you walk us through these 26 qualities or 26 capacities. And courage is where I wanted to start with you. And I'll just share a really brief story. And then I definitely want to hear from you. So this past Wednesday, I was in an interim hearing for one of the children that we foster. Both my partner and I have a biological child, an adopted child, and we also foster. So we've been fostering this child for the last few months. And there was an interim hearing for child welfare. And I've been fostering for two and a half years, and I've never been to a court hearing. I was completely terrified. And I went on behalf of her, of course. But There was so, so much that week leading up to the hearing that was up for me, so much anxiety, so much fear, just so much intensity. And so I go into the courthouse and where I live in Mariposa, it's actually the oldest courthouse in all of California, the courthouse building. So you go in this tiny little building from the 1800s and like walk up these stairs. And anyway, I'm sitting there and I open your book and I had mentioned this to you in the beginning. One of the things I love about your book is that I can use it also as an oracle. Like I can just sit and kind of go, what do I need in this moment and open it? And I'm not even joking. It opened up to the courage chapter on page 88. And I was like, okay, universe, I got the message. So I was reading that as I was waiting. And really where I'm going with this is that it was just, it was the exact medicine that I needed in the moment. And your words and practice while I was waiting to go into that hearing gave me so much permission to be where I was, to allow myself to feel scared, to allow myself to feel the anxiety, to not try to push it away or stuff it down or pretend like I was feeling different than I was. And as I sat in that court pew and did your practice, something shifted. Something shifted for me. And I was able to kind of downregulate and really open up my heart and my consciousness to what I was in for in that moment and who I was really there to serve. And I know I've been saying thank you a lot since we started, but I just want to say thank you again, because it was so, Mm. I don't really know how else to say it other than it was just really, really meaningful to me. So I wanted to start there with courage. Yeah. Well, I just feel so glad and It's meaningful for me to hear that and to know that it supported you in that way. As an author and a teacher, you know, I put stuff out into the world and, you know, I don't always hear back, (laughs) you know, how's this help? Is it useful? And the, the specificity of what you just shared is really meaningful for me because it's a great illustration of what I am hoping for with this book, which is that, you know, yeah, I used, you use that word medicine and I really see these capacities as different medicines 
And in one way, there's a certain wisdom that we can draw on and looking at, say, the table of contents and considering, okay, <laughs> what do I need right now? Like, what's the right medicine? And then there's also just a certain, you know, intuition or just opening to serendipity in the way you did to just say, well, yeah, show me what I need. And I'm glad, glad it spoke to you and supported you in that really important moment. Hmm. So, yeah, courage is. I think it's definitely one of the qualities that I'm drawing on a lot these days with everything that's happening in our world and a lot of the disturbing news that is coming out of the Middle East and is coming out of the climate research. COP28 is about to happen as we're recording this, and it's hard. It's really, really hard to face the truth and to open to all of the feelings that are present in relation to that. And so it takes courage. And as you noted in your story, you know, as I talk about in the chapter, courage doesn't mean not feeling afraid. It it means being real with our fear and learning how to make space for it and still stay present. And at times when it's too much to be able to move away, it takes courage to recognize, hey, this is too much for me. I'm at my limit. I need a break. Like just acknowledging that we have a limit and that we need some nourishment or space takes a certain kind of courage, I think, for all of us. So this is a really important skill today so that we don't end up shutting down habitually. In There's a real difference between just avoiding things and going numb and consciously turning away to take a break so that we can come back. Mm. Yeah. I talk about, you know, the opening of the chapter, as you know, I talk about, I'm also a parent. We have one young child and just the courage it took to do that <laughs> in our world today. You know, there's that really chilling line from Bob Dylan's song, Masters of War. You know, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember it word for word, but he says, you know, Masters of War, you've done, you know, the worst thing of, you know, making making people afraid to bring a child into the world. And so I think it takes a lot of courage to to look ahead to the future and say, I have faith in the capacity we all have for goodness and in our, our ability to meet the uncertainty of the world we live in and and bring forth something beautiful. Yeah. When I read the beginning of that chapter, it was there was I was so I think just assured and affirmed by what you shared too, because this is some, this is a conversation my partner and I had many times before I was pregnant and even it's just, yeah. And I was like, who's, who else is having these conversations? Is anyone else thinking about these things in this way? And he was like, I know we, we don't want to seem like negative or like Debbie Downers about this, but it's also, these are very real things that we're thinking about a lot. It's like even just having the conversation around how many diapers is this child going to use? And like, where are those going to end up? And all of the waste totally. and just all the things that we we're considering in terms of our environmental impact. And also, you know, this was a question that we had even moving out to where we lived just so many questions about what does that look like? And I'm so appreciating how you kind of ended on that too, just this piece around, you know, this, just this basic goodness and just having faith in that goodness and having faith in that for the future. Cause that is a piece that sometimes is, it's a lot to hold. It's hard to hold that for me in certain moments. And I'm appreciating you offering that because I'm really hearing that too, as its own practice, as its own kind of orientation and, you know, I'm also thinking about how much 
You know, one of the things I love about your book is there's these 26 qualities, but they all flow together and they all work together in all these ways. Yeah. And the first quality that you have in your book is attention, which makes sense. <laughs> so it's like we got to start there with our attention. But in thinking about courage and what you just shared too, how it's it's not like ch- kind of unconsciously numbing out or unconsciously checking out is really different than making a conscious choice to go, hey, my bandwidth is at capacity right now. I need to step back or I need to go rest, which you also dive into in your book. These are things that I need. And I'd love to just dive into that attention piece because where we place our attention also dictates so much in our life. And there's this one part where you talk a lot about strengthening your capacity to choose where you place your attention. And I feel like that word like choose is so, so important. So I'd love to dive into that with you too. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah. I talk about attention first, as you noted, because it's it's the starting point. If we don't have agency over our attention, we are just lost. We're lost in the habits and patterns and reactions of our own mind, and we're lost in the world, in media, social media, technology. We're just pulled along by the currents of the times. So I talk about wise attention, which integrates this intelligence in how we use our attention. So the first point here is is the acknowledgement of the context, which is that our attention is a commodity and that there's billions of dollars vying for it because when you can attract and retain attention, you can generate profit and you can influence action. And we have learned this in tragic ways since the, was it the 2016 election or the 2020 election, they kind of blur together. And I think it was the 2016 election where we really sort of learned how social media played a role in the election. So we're up against really powerful forces. That being said, we can actually reclaim the right to our attention by learning to train it and just recognizing that we have the capacity to choose where we place our attention. And I give these two little kind of experiments to do in the book of, you know, notice what you're seeing and then notice what you're hearing or feel the sensations in your hands and then feel the sensations in your feet, which people who are familiar with my first book will recognize as as an experiment I offer there as well. And it's just a simple fact that we can consciously shift where we place our attention from seeing to hearing from one part of our body to another. We do this all the time every day, but we don't notice it. And because we don't notice it, we don't strengthen it. We don't actually cultivate it. The more we cultivate it, the more we reclaim our right to what we do with our attention. When am I going to look at my device? When I open that device, what am I going to look at? I can't tell you how many times I open, whether it's my laptop or my phone, to do one thing. And five minutes later, I'm staring at something and going, wait, why am I looking at this? That What did I even open this thing for, right? Because I lost the thread. I wasn't consciously choosing. So this takes training. This takes intention. This takes practice. And that's the starting place. As we start to reclaim our attention by noticing where it's going, by practicing restraint, by making conscious choices, by creating structures for ourselves around what we do with our attention, we begin to realize and recognize the power of our attention. 
that with our attention, we water certain capacities inside, call them seeds, which comes out of Buddhist psychology. We nourish these different seeds and we can nourish the seeds of outrage and fear and anxiety, of self-centeredness, of pettiness and greed, or we can nourish the seeds of compassion, of hope, of joy, of generosity. And it all begins with where we place our attention with how we use our heart and our mind every day. And this is the entryway into the realm of contemplative practice of recognizing not only that we have an inner life, but that we can shape it and use it as an incredibly powerful resource for our own well-being, for the kind of harmony and health of our family, and to be more engaged and effective in our communities. I really appreciate the way you speak to that as an inner resource. I think that that is especially, yeah, it's just, it's really potent. Just those two words together, that just makes a lot of sense to me. And it just sounds, it just really resonates. You know, I'm thinking a lot too about what you, what you shared. You know, I have that experience a lot. It doesn't usually take me five minutes to land somewhere else. It usually takes me about 90 seconds. And then I'm like, what was I doing on my phone? Why am I looking at this meme or whatever it is I see right now in front of me? And sometimes I even open my computer and just that alone, if I'm not really conscious while I'm doing it, I, I will forget. And I think part of that too is just being a tired mom with three young kids. But it's like, I'm, I'm finding, especially as a, you know, I, my, our kids are all under five, still being in the new, like kind of phase of new parenting, young parenting, all the things it's because I'm more tired, you know, we have a four month old now who wakes up twice a night to feed. And then our two year old son is still having nightmares. And so he's up two, three times a night. So I'm up at least three or four times a night, you know, and have been steadily for years. And so there's a part of me that still kind of says to, okay, I have to just give myself some compassion and, and practice that like, it's okay if my attention just strays, or if I check out in moments, or if I forget things, because my brain and is just really different than it was five years ago from having a child and also from the lack of sleep. But really what you're saying and what you're talking about is that it becomes a practice. And I feel like I am winning in life in a moment where I notice my attention is gone and I'm able to come back. It's like, that's always like, whoa, I was just doing this other thing that I didn't want to be doing. And now I'm back. Okay, cool. That's great. That's information for me. That's a resource. you know. It's a huge win. It's a win. It's a big win. Yeah. And I'm finding that a lot these days, just those little kind of wins. I'm like, okay, wait, I'm bringing, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And it's just reminding me too of my early days meditating when I lived in San Francisco. This was 20 plus years ago at the Zen center, like facing the wall, <laughs> you know, the whole thing. But it was just the instruction is always just come back, come back. And I was like, but wait, I'm not like getting the enlightenment. I'm not like feeling better. I'm not like all these things that I want so bad out of my practice. And the teacher's like, yeah, but you remembered to come back. I was like, oh, okay. And there's something that is just sitting, as I'm saying that and sharing that and remembering that, it's like, that's actually so beautiful. And that's so nourishing. And it's so just generous and gentle to go, actually, that's okay. And that's enough. Like, it's just enough for you to come back. And that can be enough for all of us in a moment. Hey, Ashley here. 
If you're looking for more ways to deepen your practice and continue the conversation, I invite you to join our amazing community over on Substack. In this offering, I share my most personal writing using the lens of my life to model vulnerability, curiosity, and living as a practice. You can also expect themes connected to transformation, nature, parenting, creativity, and rest. I love pouring my heart into our bi-monthly essays and connecting with each of you in a more intimate way. When you sign up for a paid subscription to my Substack, you also receive an exclusive solo podcast episode each month, where I dive deep into a topic suggested by a paid subscriber, access to community threads where you get to meet each other, as well as the full archive of essays and workshop replays. I appreciate your presence and hope to see you in the Deeper Call community. You can find a link to subscribe in the show notes below. Now, let's get back to the conversation. There's another piece from your book, and we're going to kind of jump ahead, actually all the way to the end, because this this chapter on forgiveness is was one that really spoke to me and forgiveness as as a practice. And I love that you talk about at the end, just kind of as a way of life, right? Like what about for all of these qualities? Like what if these qualities could be a way of life? And that to me is such a, that's aspirational in and of itself. And that is such a vision of what is possible. But I wanted to just share this brief story so, and this actually happened this morning, which I, I'm, as I'm saying it, I'm noticing I'm still feeling a little shame. I'm feeling that like heat in my face and kind of sweating a little bit. Mm. Oh gosh. I was like trying to get our son, our two-year-old son in the, in the car. And I just, I just, I yelled at him like, mm. <laughs> Like so intensely. So like, Mm. and I can count on one hand how many times I've yelled like that as a parent twice, once to my other son a year ago. And uh, I just. So painful. So painful, Oren. Yeah. Yeah. Really painful. I'm like noticing my impulse to like rush through this and I'm like, well, we're here, so I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm totally with you and just making space to just mourn, to just feel the sadness and the grief of that, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Hmm. Just from having spoken to you for this little bit, I have a sense of how much care and tenderness you aspire to bring to those little ones. And then that hurt. Yeah, there's this there's this piece too, especially for around him, that just lands so differently, like somatically, because you know, we adopted him. We He's our second son. We adopted him through foster care. We've had him since he was seven days old. And mm. like, there's some part of me that just like, because of his history and because of what he's already had gone through at such a young age, like I just, yeah, yeah, it just it hurts deeper somehow. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you just feel so much compassion already for what this little being's had to go through that 
It's the last thing in the world you want is to add to that. Yeah. 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 That's exactly right. And honestly, I think too, there was a part of me that it just it shocked me because it was so like the way the like the way the words came out, it was so guttural. It was so angry. And it was just so like, like, wow, just like the power of anger and the power of rage and primal. Yeah, primal, that like primal, like, (laughs) you know, and so like misdirected, of course, but it was just, yeah, yeah, just thank you. Thank you for just sitting here with me in this and yeah, yeah, just for being here while I kind of work through this (laughs) in real time. No, absolutely, absolutely. So curious what happened next. That feels okay to ask or yeah. Yeah, thank you for asking. I um I kind of, you know, rushed her I got him in the seat, rushed around to the car and sat down and I could feel the almost immediate like wash of shame. <laughs> just heat and just, oh my God. And, you know, and then it was, you know, some judgment and some different things. But I just was able to really get like once that kind of passed I was able to get to just the hurt you know oh shit like mm-hmm. ah, I just yelled at my son that doesn't feel good you know yeah the tenderness yeah <laughs> yeah and then by the time I dropped him off it was a short drive I turned around in the car and you know looked at him directly in the eyes and eventually got out and held him and you know, apologized. And he looked at me and I said, I'm sorry, sweetheart. And he, <laughs> he's talking now. He's just turned to what he's saying. You know, he's talking and he just looked and he said, mommy, sorry. And I said, yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So important. So important, right? To model that, to model that like, yeah, I messed up. I feel bad about it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> uh-huh. Yeah. It's so important. It's so important. And, you know, I think about that. I've thought about that often and as a parent and, you know, with the family that I grew up in and just how, how much, like, I wonder, like, as an adult, like, how much that could have potentially shifted things for me, having heard that from a parent at any moment, like, hey, whoa, I was totally out of line. I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, shit, you know, (laughs) like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you that way. That's my responsibility. Yeah. I'm the one who messed up. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Me, me. It's mine. Yeah. 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 Mm, Well, thanks for sharing your heart with me and with your listeners in this. And I, I think that the way you're kind of walking through your feelings here is just such a beautiful example of the the rawness and the power of forgiveness and that, you know, it's a process, you know, clearly you've already spent time with this. You mentioned it in the car. You're like, you know, you did what you could to downregulate, to reflect, to be with what's happening and, you know, it'll probably continue to move through. So it's not a one-time thing. And it's also not about condoning the act or being like, well, you know, it's okay, whatever. I forgive myself. It's fine. So, you know, we we actually digest the harm. We were like, we learn from it. Particularly, we're talking about you know forgiving ourselves. 
but the the guilt the self-judgment that is actually not helpful and it's a it's a form of self-centeredness i am so bad i am so wrong i shouldn't have done that why am i this terrible parent it's like i'm focusing on myself actually mm. whereas the forgiveness the heart starts to actually open and and feel the pain feel the hurt and then the mourning the sadness can can come through i'm i'm just still <laughs> i'm just still sitting with what you just shit that felt like such an important gem just that this judgment and this kind of self-criticism is that like just really keeping the self-centeredness going and it's actually i could see that and it's i felt that in that moment and then i was like okay i get it not that but i can also see it in different areas and even in my life and in my history how that has kept me from the feeling kept me from the pain kept me from metabolizing that hurt and digesting that hurt it's like that's the piece what's really been coming through and I actually went when I got to my studio I cracked open your book again and I was like okay let's let's do this forgiveness practice too and again not just as a one and done but just as a way to further sit with this and and sitting with this I think really what I've came to and you kind of touch on this throughout your book this this quality of enoughness and can we feel enough and can we love ourselves and show up for ourselves and turn toward ourselves and not as a self-centeredness, but as a means of going deeper, as a means of connection, as a means of healing. And, you know, I just was like, wow, if I can't love myself in this moment through this, it's just sitting here, just sitting here in the sadness. Like that's an act of love. That's really so much of the work. Like that is an act of love, even if I can't totally feel it for myself right now. Yeah, we can orient, orient towards that, right? Which is about aspiration, right? It's just about aiming in a certain direction saying, you know, I aspire to forgive myself or I aspire to love myself alongside or including my shortcomings, the ways that I'm not able to always live what I value and believe. You know, I want to be able to love and accept and hold myself as whole including all of that. And even if we can't, just the the vision of that, the articulation of it begins to move us in that direction. It turns us in that direction, which is what aspiration is about, the second chapter of the book, because when we can do that, when we can articulate the aspiration, it's like, ah, now I have something to organize around and I can start moving in that direction. I can bring forth some energy. I can start to find ways to make that real, even if it's just as you're illustrating, like just taking a breath and being with the gap, being with the the reality of this is where I'm aiming and this is where I'm at. And I'm just going <laughs> to breathe with that. <laughs> yeah. It's humbling. It's so humbling being a parent. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. I can't tell you how many how many nights, you know, with the screaming, crying baby, I just, just at the end, just at my wits end, you know, and I just, just say to my wife, you know, you take him. I can't, I can't anymore. <laughs> it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and those are, and those are the better moments where we actually recognize like I'm at my limit, please take over mm. because it's not, it's not healthy or helpful for me to continue in this way. Oh, I love that you just shared that. Thank you. 
Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. And it really ties into that first part of what we were talking about, just recognizing that limitation and recognizing like, well, this is too much for me right now. Like you please take over. And what a kind thing to do for our kids too. I'm so curious if you feel open to sharing just kind of where you are right now in your parenting journey and process. And like, what are you, what's showing up for you? What are you sitting with? Yeah, sure. So our son is 14 and a half months old and he's not talking yet, but he is, you know, very aware and has his own wishes and will. (laughs) He's not exactly saying no yet, but he definitely communicates through crying and screaming when he is not pleased with what's happening or, you know, and so diaper changes are becoming much more challenging because he does not want to stop doing whatever he's doing and lie down on his back. So practically, a couple of the things that, uh, you know, we're working with and I'm working with are how to navigate that, that space of autonomy and will and power in a way that's respectful of his autonomy and communicates clearly what's happening. So, you know, being able to empathize with what, you know, like you want to keep playing, you know, you want to keep playing, you don't want to stop what you're doing. And then being able to communicate whether or not he understands it to be able to say to him, I'm going to pick you up now to change your diaper because I want your butt to be clean and I don't want it to hurt. If I don't clean your butt, it's going to hurt, (laughs) you know, like in terms he can understand. And then when he cries and protests to still, you know, to validate that, like, you're really angry. You wanted to keep playing. I'm so sorry. This is something you don't have choice over. You know, there's a lot of things you do have choice over. So trying to be conscious about how we're using power, why we're using power, and to explain to him that dynamic so we're not reinforcing or creating a sense of like, you have to do what I say just because I'm the parent. But there's a reason behind this. That's one. And then, you know, so his his big thing now is, you know, whenever he sees something that interests him or that he wants, he points and makes a ruckus. <laughs> you know, like, ah! <laughs> Uh, and it's it's really hard to not just be like, oh my God, what do you need here? <laughs> right? Like just to stop the, mm-hmm. the the unpleasantness of what's happening is to actually like, oh, you see something that's interesting. What is it you see? Oh, would you like that? Oh, I can give that to you. You know, like actually like you can communicate. You don't need to scream <laughs> without shaming him or making it wrong and encouraging his enthusiasm, but helping him understand that, you know, like... There's another person here that's actually able to engage and respond with you. So those are like practically some of the things that my wife and I have been have been working on. Mm. Patience continues to be a really huge ground for cultivation. A lot of it is around sleep and and crying and screaming and stuff like that with with sleep and just coming back to that value and just like remembering my value for patience, taking deep breaths and being with the the anger, the rage, the the that mobilization emotionally that arises when there's a feeling of helplessness. It's like, why won't you stop crying? <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, like it's okay to feel that way and to just make space for it and let that wave, let that wave move through me. And of course, you know, I would say like alongside all of that, the challenges that are arising between my wife and I Mm. (laughs) and working with those where it's like, you know, because we're both underslept and stressed and fortunately we both have 
a lot of mindfulness practice. We're both trained in nonviolent communication. And so we have a lot of resources to draw on. And it's still hard. It's still hard. I think one of the areas we're focusing on a lot right now is generating gratitude and appreciation and sharing it because it's so healing and protective and nourishing for both of us. So, you know, like this morning, he woke up at 5.30, which is, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> and she got up and did the first shift so I could sleep in a little bit. So I woke up at seven. And you know, so she, she had been holding him, rocking him, helping him sleep a little bit more. And I said more than once to her, you know, like, thank you so much for getting up and being with him so I could keep sleeping. You know, and it's just our couple's counselor just reminds us all the time. It's like, it's so easy to take each other for granted, to take all of the things you do for each other every day for granted. So we're both continually trying to practice, like noticing what we appreciate and sharing it in a heartfelt way with the other person. And it, it definitely shifts the relational field and buoys us. So practicing gratitude, appreciation. And, you know, so this is all coming back to what we've been talking about. Like these are all downstream choices that come from training attention. Like you can't feel gratitude and appreciate somebody if you're not paying attention to what you're focusing on, like if the if I'm use if you know I wake I get out of bed and the first thing I do is look at my phone and start looking at my calendar and my email or the news and I'm not attending to how I'm using my mind and my attention, I don't notice that my wife has been up for an hour and a half and that I got to sleep in or because I'm not paying attention to that. I'm focusing my attention on other things. So using the skills of attention starts to open up these potentials for I can cultivate patience, I can cultivate gratitude, I can be generous, I can let go. You know, there's a chapter on renunciation. And I was just telling the story about, I don't know if it was yesterday or two days ago, but it was not a morning I feel proud of. You know, he woke up at five, he had gone to bed too late, he was overtired, he was screaming and crying, my wife was stressed, I was I was underslept. And, you know, the first thing I said to my wife in a slightly accusatory tone was like, he's overtired, <laughs> right? And she had been dealing with a screaming baby for the last, you know, 10 minutes. And so she got really angry, <laughs> upset. But because of my practice and, you know, like I happen to have the resources in that moment to be aware, to recognize like, yeah, that was not a helpful thing to say, right? And to not react, to not get into it with her. And a few moments later to like practice letting go and forgiveness, forgiveness of myself, forgiveness of her. And to just say in a really simple way, like, hey, I'm so sorry I said that. Can we start over? And like both of us have enough understanding with one another. We didn't need to process it. It was just like, that was enough to just reset and go, thanks, sweetie. Yeah. And we had a beautiful morning. It was great. You know, the rest of the morning. So this is the fruit. This is the fruit of, of practice, of training attention, of training in renunciation, being able to let go of being right or, you know, my pride or whatever, of forgiveness, of forgiving myself, of having the humility to just say, can we start over? And then we recover. Mm. Mm. I, you know, I mean, the other thing that, you know, I'm practicing in my parenting is deep presence and just trying to savor the time because it's going so quickly. 
You know, it's like my wife just sent me a photo of him, of he, he and I reading a book six months ago, you know, and it's just like he's miles from where he was six months ago, you know, when he was not even walking, you're barely crawling, you know, and now he's running around and pointing at things. And so trying to, as often as I can, you know, put everything else down inside and out and just be present and just delight in the wonder and the joy and be nourished by all of that and celebrate, celebrate it. Hi, we're going to take a short break from this conversation so that I can share a brief selection from one of my newest essays on Substack. The title of this essay is Expanding Your Capacity. This season of my life has been one invitation after the next to keep stretching, to keep reaching, to keep digging deeper than sometimes feels possible in a moment. And yet it is possible. I am resourced. Not as much as I would like to be, that is for sure. But I do have internal and external resources, many of which I didn't even know I had until I became a parent. Resources that were there all along, waiting for me to claim them, waiting for me to take responsibility for my actions and behaviors, waiting for me to notice them. The call of a hawk, the smell of damp soil, the moonrise over our deck. In the words of Dr. Becky, my favorite child psychologist, two things are true. I feel like I have nothing, and I can find more. If you enjoyed this piece of writing, I invite you to become a paying subscriber to the Deeper Call Substack. Please find the link in our show notes. Let's get back to our episode. I wanted to share, Ashley, that I feel really moved and inspired by the choice you and your husband have made to to adopt and to foster. Just very, very beautiful. And as a new parent, understanding what that actually means. <laughs> you know, it's a, before we had a child, I always kind of like, oh, that's, you know, that's so beautiful. It's like so generous to like, you know, adopt a child or foster it. But like... <laughs> <laughs> huge, huge bodhisattva act. So wanted to just reflect that back. Thank you for thank you for that reflection. And I felt I just I feel that. I feel the Yeah. Yeah. I just feel the feel the generosity there too. And just thank you. It's it's you know, it's funny before I became a parent too, and I had lots of friends that were parents and actually worked with a lot of parents in my practice kind of five iterations ago. And it's different and you become one. It's like, oh, now I see now I see what's happening. Now I feel this in a totally different way. It's it's really, it's really that part's really beautiful. And I also just really appreciate the way that you articulated, you know, gratitude and patience is all being downstream from attention and how the attention, like you and your wife both cultivating your attention and having all the practice that you have really allowing you then to be able in those moments to turn things around or to say what you need to say in a moment and shift things. And I also love, love, love the gratitude. And, you know, this is something my partner and I have been talking about recently, often at night, 
you know, when we finally get all the kids down, <laughs> we're so exhausted and like delirious. And then we're just kind of doing business. We're like, okay, what needs to get tackled? Like, what's going on with daycare? What's going on with this? Like Solomon's art lessons? What's going on with the agency? Like, what do we have to deal with with CWS? What social worker do we have to contact? Like doing all that stuff. And we've had this moment the other night where we were like, we have to actually put a pin in this. We have to find time during the day, however we do that, to talk about this. So at night, we can just be with each other and not be like doing all of those things. And I think that's, especially as a parent of young kids, that can get really hard because there's so much that can stack in a day and it can be easy at the end of the day to be like, well, let's just tackle what needs to tackle. And actually what we need and what our family needs is for us to be in connection you know, and for us to have those moments of like, hey, babe, like, thank you so much for, you know, whatever it was that you did today, like for doing the dishes or thank you for this. And just that being a practice, I just makes me think a lot about Esther Perel's work too, and how she talks about so often with the work that she does with couples, she's like, you have to appreciate each other. Like, that's always her number one advice, like appreciate, appreciate as a practice. And, you know, you talk about this a lot, like, you know, we're always practicing something, right? We're always practicing something. And so what am I, I can ask myself that, what am I practicing in my relationship? Like when you, you mentioned that giving your wife that gratitude for taking care of your child that morning, like, thanks for letting me sleep in. It just, it brought a tear to my eye. Cause I was like, wow, how beautiful and how seemingly simple but if we're not oriented toward that, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss each other and not just our partners, but just each other. Yeah. And how much, how much nourishment do we miss every day, whether it's in our relationship or just in the ordinariness of our day of taking a shower and just like, wow, I have hot running water. How many people on the planet have access to that or taking a you know, sip of coffee? Just really appreciating just, just the simple things around us, seeing the sunshine, walking outside, smelling the air. It's like, it sounds Pollyanna, and yet when when we really do it, we recognize there are blessings around us all the time that can buoy us and that we need. We need that joy. We need that nourishment because there is so much pain and there is so much heartache and there is so much uncertainty. And I want to add what we were saying before. Like this is these are not just downstream of attention. They're also downstream of mindfulness. And mindfulness is really important in this. And attention, wise attention, noticing where our attention is going is the beginning. But then we also need to cultivate the capacity to be aware in a balanced way. We need to be able to not just notice what our attention's doing, which is kind of value neutral, and, and, and then start to make wiser choices with our attention, which starts to actually cultivate certain values and ethics. But then bring a clear balanced awareness to what's happening and that's really what sets the stage for the rest of this stuff mm -hmm. thank you for clarifying that yeah i find that really really important you mentioned something else too that i it's just to me it really ties in with the trauma work as well and that kind of trauma-informed perspective you know talking about mm. and just going a couple steps back Right. It's like instead of like kind of going all the way <laughs> to the, whatever the extreme kind of edge is, it's like, what if we just go a few steps back? And you were talking about this with aspiration, or and when I brought up the piece about, you know, if I can't love myself in this exact moment, like what could I aspire to? Could I aspire to love myself? Could I, you know, be willing for that? And you mentioned how that already, just that aspiration 
creates energy, right? And a momentum. And it just had me thinking a lot about this trauma-informed piece. Like so often it's like, well, let's just work on the most intense thing. And what if we just start small? What, and you mentioned that throughout your yeah. book and you just all the reminders in your book I love. You're like, hey, reminder, everyone, let's just take it one right, baby right. step at a time. And that's that's enough. Again, that reminder that that's enough. And, yeah. you know, my orientation before I was in, you know, somatic experiencing, I'm always just like, give me the peak experience. Give me the catharsis. Give me the thing that's going to like push me to my edge. But why isn't why isn't anything shifting? It's like I'm doing all this stuff, but nothing was really shifting. Nothing was integrating. And it wasn't until I started that work and actually working, you know, very closely with an SCP in my own, you know, personal therapy that it was like, oh, actually I need to do a piece that's digestible. I need to like really like slow this way down. And so I like that there's some mirroring happening with those two pieces and just really being able to pull back and start just that invitation to just start so small and that how that can shift our direction is really powerful. Thank you. I'm so glad. Yeah. And and to keep it really practical, right? Like I'm thinking about, you know, you and your husband and the unending life administration. And it's like, you know, what my, my wife and I, like our thing right now is five minutes, mm. five minutes of intentional connecting time. Maybe we don't have the whole evening, <laughs> you know, maybe she needs to do her schoolwork for her online masters. And I, you know, want to read this article about the Middle East. It's like, okay, we spend so much more time every day doing other things. We can do five minutes, right? Like really low bar, <laughs> start small. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. There was something else you said that I wanted to riff off of the intensity junkie habit, right? The other thing that I'm sure you're familiar with, but that I said I want to like name is it's not just things aren't shifting, like, oh, how come I'm not integrating or seeing the changes? But when we organize our life around the pursuit of intensity, pleasure, what does that do to the rest of our time? right? Everything else becomes secondary. It's like, I'm waiting for that next hit. I'm waiting for that next thing, the next, whatever it is, whether it's the concert, whether it's the workshop, whether it's the, you know, really fan, like really rich meal or something. And then the rest of my meals this week don't really count. So I, I'm just not really noticing them. Mm. And when we, when we shift the frame to whether it starts small or, you know, notice and be present for what's actually happening, like all of our life starts to become fuel for awakening and nourishment for our heart. I'm so appreciating that you brought that up because that's something that I've been looking at in so many different ways. While I'm not, you know, kind of oriented towards that intensity, I still have parts that are, and this is a work that I'm just in process with that I'm sitting with right now is this all these parts that are oriented towards achievement or being the best or being like healed, healed, right? Or being being like so good at something. It's like, it's all the same. And, you know, it's all connected in that way. And I love this invitation. It's, and I've been seeing that in my own life. It's like, okay, what if, (laughs) what if I'm, I'm just not the best and that's actually okay. But what does it mean for the rest of my life? If I'm always in this like perpetual state of striving, I'm missing so much. 
And it's actually what I've come to for myself. It's actually a massive avoidant pattern for me. And so I'm really avoiding stuff when I'm in that place because there's so much I'm missing because I'm always looking out to like, you know, my next achievement. And I've been in a PhD program and I'm dropping out. And it's like, it's so liberating. It's so liberating. I'm like, I don't actually need to do this. Like, I don't, I, I did my year. I did my first year. I did really well, but I don't need to like have this thing to like, Strive, keep striving for. Actually, what I want is more time with my family. What I want is to be sitting here in these kinds of conversations with people like you who I just like so admire and respect. What I want is to be writing. What I want is to be hanging out with our donkeys. Like These are the things that I want. What I want is to be showing up in our community and doing all the incredible work that we're doing here in our little town and like making difference, making a difference right here, like working with climate change, working with the indigenous communities. It's like, these are the things that are so important. And it's just, it's been this big, like unlearning, like a deep program. I don't even know what to call it, but just, it's been a big shift to go, oh, I can actually just put that down. I can put that down and I can orient towards what's here. So I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel like you just so beautifully articulated and synthesized like my last year. So thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you for sharing the passion and vitality that you're feeling around it. I think you used the exactly appropriate word, liberating. It's liberating. And, you know, I think we can all feel it and hear it in your voice when you talk about the things you're involved with in your community. And that's one of my hopes for the book is that it helps us liberate more energy and vitality to contribute in ways that are meaningful instead of being stuck in these habits and these patterns that, you know, aren't serving us individually and that are destroying the foundations of life on the planet. We actually start to look more carefully at what we're doing each day and how we're using our precious inner resources so that we can start directing them in ways that are more useful. And as you know, you just spoke to, when we do that, it brings energy. It brings, it brings vitality. We start to feel more alive, empowered, whole, because we're actually participating in the flow of life in a way that is onward leading and serving life. Mm. This feels like a really beautiful place to land. How are you feeling? Is there anything else that you want to share? I just reflecting on the beautiful title of your podcast, The Deeper Call. And it's, I think that's part of what it's about. It's about, you know, listening inside for what is that call for each of us, being clear and practical about it. And it doesn't need to be grand. It can be, you know, organizing, contributing to a community garden, getting to know your neighbors, building mutual, you know, mutual aid networks, <laughs> the fancy term for having real community that you share with <laughs> when times of need, like these are really important things to do. So what is that call for each of us and developing the, the skills and the resources to listen to it and to take it up? Beautiful. Thank you so much, Oren. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for tuning in to The Deeper Call today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your communities. This is one of the most impactful ways you can support this podcast and ensure that I get to keep creating it. I also want to thank Softer Sound Studio for editing and producing the show, Marbury Co. for the artwork, and East Forest for the music. Your support and presence is so appreciated. Thank you for listening to The Deeper Call.